So again, good morning. Glad everyone can join us here and, and online as well, if that's how you're joining us this morning. So by means of a quick amen, how many of you share a video streaming account with somebody? So like Disney, Hulu Plus, you know, Amazon. If that's you, just say a real quick amen. 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 <laughs> right. I'll take audible amens however I can get them. <laughs> that was a good number of, of you guys. That's good. Um, no accountability in a group. You know, if everyone says it, then everyone's like, oh, that wasn't me. Um, my wife and I share some accounts. Um, my sister pays for one. Uh, Andrew's parents pay for another. A friend pays for another. We pay for some. Uh, this way we get to watch all the things, uh, but we don't have to pay for all the things. Someone else pays, and we get to watch what we want. It's a pretty sweet deal. Uh, and the fact that other people pay uh, some, some things and allow us to watch stuff actually leads into our passage really well for today. Uh, we're continuing in our series through the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, we're calling Jesus' Donkey Kingdom Manifesto. Uh, a week before he was arrested, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And in the prophecy that talks about that event, we see that the reason that he chooses a donkey is to show what, what kind of king, what kind of Messiah he is, and, and what kind of kingdom he's here to bring. Uh, one of righteousness, of victory, and lowliness. <clears throat> Our victory is assured, but worldly status, power, or standing is not we have a donkey Messiah who points us the way to the donkey kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount is where we hear directly from Jesus about life in his kingdom. What's important, what matters, how we're supposed to live in this kingdom. It's his manifesto, so to speak. Uh, and today's passage, it's a good one. A lot of good stuff to dig into, so we'll get into it. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. This is Jesus speaking here. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, there's a lot there. Let's start at the beginning here. Jesus says that he has not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but rather to fulfill them. Basically, the fact that Jesus came and did what he did doesn't mean that the Old Testament is now useless or irrelevant. Right? It just means that it's been fulfilled. Right? And this is actually where the brethren in Christ get our stance. We've, we've talked about Christocentrism, keeping Christ at the center. It's how we read all of Scripture through the lens of Jesus. All of Scripture finds its fulfillment and meaning in the life, death, resurrection, teachings, and example of Jesus. There's a concept uh, called uh, the doctrine of progressive revelation, and all that means is that as we progress through Scripture, 
uh, we see a more and more detailed view of God, a more full and complete revelation of God. We start small, we, we just have little bits and hints as to who God is, and eventually we end with a full embodiment in Jesus. So what this means is that we can use Jesus, the picture of Jesus that we have in the New Testament, to help us interpret the incomplete pictures of God in the Old Testament, to, to kind of fill in the gaps, right? to, to color in the black and white outlines uh, that were given in the Old Testament. So uh, the law, which is basically referring to uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, call that the law, and then the prophets, um, a lot of the writing that comes thereafter, <clears throat> they give a shadow of who God is. Right? We, we can get an idea of his basic shape and form uh, from, those, from those writings, but with Jesus, the lines gain definition. Right? We, we see color, we see who he really is. That said, even a physical embodiment of God in Jesus isn't enough to show all that God is. Right? As a person, Jesus was limited in space and time, and he had other physical limitations, but God isn't bound by those things. And so we are given the Spirit now that Jesus has returned to heaven so that we can continue to grow in our understanding of God, continue to fill out the picture of who God is by the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit, guided, and this is important, guided by the revelation already given to us in his word. Now verse 18 says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So, does this mean that the law, then, is still binding on us? What does, this, what does this mean? The whole thing still kind of governs us today? Well, that's not, really, that's not really what it means. Let me give some background, a little bit of context to help us understand uh, what the law is and how it, how it worked, how it functioned. So the law is essentially all the rules and regulations that are laid out at the end of Exodus through Deuteronomy. Um, and you can essentially, essentially break up the law into three basic, very basic sections. Is that going to be up there? Fantastic. Ceremonial laws, civil laws, and moral laws. Now, ceremonial laws are your religious and dietary codes, right? They're the, the requirements and sacrifices and priestly restrictions and rules. And uh, these would include uh, the festivals that we're supposed to uh, celebrate, the, the special offerings and what foods are considered ceremonially clean or unclean. And these, the ceremonial laws... Uh, were fulfilled by Christ and are no longer binding on Christians. You might remember how Jesus declared all foods clean uh, in Mark 7, indicating and representing the idea that the ceremonial law had been fulfilled. In Hebrews 10, 1, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. So we don't have to continue to offer sacrifices year after year, follow the festival calendar, only eat certain foods, because Jesus fulfilled all of that for us, and we are no longer bound by that. The civil laws were about the establishment of a new nation of people, 
right? The Israelites. So these laws had to do with the establishment of power, right? Making decisions, how punishments were doled out for certain offenses, how you could make amends for wrongs committed, all the kinds of things that a nation would need to function and govern itself. In Deuteronomy 23, there's even a law about where and how to poop. I mean, like, it gets granular. <laughs> These laws were specific for ancient Israel and are not binding on present-day followers of Jesus. They were meant for a specific time and people and place. The moral laws, on the other hand, show us the ethical standards required by God's holiness. Right? These, these ethical uh, principles are still in force and have not changed. So while the civil and ceremonial aspects of the law are no longer mandatory, the moral law is still binding. So these are things that, that show us the nature and character of God. Right? The kinds of behaviors that he wants to see from people who claim him as their God. Uh, things like caring for the poor, the widows, children, and the, and the foreigners in their midst. And these kinds of laws are especially in force when we see them affirmed later in the New Testament. Now, these are very general categories, okay? And, and it can sometimes be difficult to sort every single law neatly into just one of these uh, categories. Some of, these, some of them overlap. Uh, sometimes there are disagreements about which ones are still operative for us today, and there are other considerations at play. But in a very general sense, this is how the law works. But in every case, the law was meant to show them, the Israelites, God. It was meant to show them who their God was, what he wanted, and how they were to then live as followers of him. And it shows us who God is as well. Last year, um, we talked about the creation account at the beginning of Genesis first couple of chapters there. And I encourage you to, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that one uh, again. But we said that the biggest takeaway for us to understand in the creation narrative was that the creation account was not meant to be a scientific work that showed us literally how the world came to be. It was meant to be a theological work showing us God. So while our God is huge and a God of miracles and could certainly have spoken the earth into existence using mere words, he also could have used other processes and used symbolic language to represent processes that he used. The, 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 the big deal isn't where you fall on what side of that conversation. That's not the important thing. The big deal is what we learn about God through that account. We learn that he is all-powerful. He is creative. He cares for his creation. He is wise. He's a relational God in his nature. And we learn that humans are imperfect. We sin. And we are loved by this huge and powerful God. And we're made in his image. So it's the theological truths that we learn from that passage that are important. And it's the same thing with the law. The point isn't the law itself, it's God. It shows this incredible God who is worthy of obedience and praise and worship and everything that we have. It shows that he values justice, he values fairness, he values compassion and care for the less fortunate. So, so the law shows us God, but it also shows us us. It shows us us. 
It shows that we are incapable of following every single line of the law. <laughs> and that's important. I'm going to get to why that's important in a minute. <clears throat> then the, the passage gets, gets to this whole until everything is accomplished business. And most scholars believe that this is, in fact, referring to the end of all things, not just the end of Jesus' specific earthly ministry. Um, now, Jesus did, in his earthly ministry, fulfill much of the Old Testament laws, like the sacrificial system. Right? We don't have to make bloody animal sacrifices for our sins anymore, because Jesus was our once and for all bloody sacrifice for our sins. So we are tremendously grateful for that. Especially because blood would be really hard to get out of this carpet. <laughs> so then we get to verse 19, which tells us, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So is there a hierarchy in heaven? Right, how's that? How's that work? Kind of seems like like am I going to get a better seat at dinner because I'm a pastor, and and you're not? Like how how does that work? Well, that's not that's not really what he's talking about. There is a sense that if we place our trust in Jesus, He fulfills everything for us, right? Thus making us great in the kingdom of heaven. Right? None are least. None are least. At the same time, if we teach others to not obey his commands, that obedience is not important, according to this passage, we would be considered lesser in the kingdom because we're pulling people away from living the way God wants us to live. Obedience, listen, obedience still matters to God. In fact, perfect obedience, perfect obedience is still the standard for getting into the donkey kingdom. Do you know that? Is still the standard. And that would be really bad news <laughs> for us if not for the fact that Jesus lived our perfect obedience for us and gives it to us as a gift. Perfect obedience to the law, to the prophets, to Jesus' teachings, to his example, that is still what's required of us. But, God, but Jesus lived that perfect obedience and gave it to us in a huge act of mercy and grace. But a few more notes here to help us understand a little bit better this whole least and greatest uh, concept. Um, <clears throat> there is, uh, when we're talking about the kingdom, there is a now but not yet aspect to the kingdom of God. So with the death of, and resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom came to earth. There was an inbreaking of the kingdom, but not yet in its fullness, right? We can experience and participate in God's kingdom here and now when we live and act as kingdom citizens. But we also know that we won't completely experience the kingdom until it comes in its fullness and we are together with Jesus. So when Jesus is talking about being lesser and greater in the kingdom of heaven, he's not just talking about some future time in heaven. He's talking about right now. Right? This isn't necessarily talking about some reward, uh, some future reward or punishment being lesser or greater in the kingdom. He's talking about our right now life. Our obedience to God matters now, and what we teach others matters now. But having said all of this, 
If we get too bogged down in this concept of lesser and greater in the kingdom, we kind of miss a lot of the broader point anyway. Because Jesus often turns the whole idea of hierarchy on its head anyway. When he says things like, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last, in Matthew 19. And the, the greatest in the kingdom will be like a little child, in Matthew 18, he says that. It's like he's saying, yo, guys, you're thinking about hierarchy, you're thinking about position and status. I'm telling you that that stuff means nothing to me. Look to the servants. Look to the humble Look to the lowly. That's where you're going to find greatness in my kingdom. That is a consistent theme in Jesus', te in Jesus teaching. That our, in our fallenness, we're always looking for hierarchies, for rankings and comparing. But that's not the way things are supposed to work in the donkey kingdom. We just read in the Beatitudes a couple weeks ago, right? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Right, the meek get the inheritance. So don't take too much time worrying about this, there being a hierarchy in heaven. Right, Jesus' main point is that if you want to live a great kingdom life, be the servant. Be the humble one. Be the meek one. That's his point. And then lastly in our passage, Jesus tells us that we won't enter the kingdom of heaven unless we are more righteous than the Pharisees. Now, if you were hearing this uh, when he was originally speaking this, this would have hit you like a ton of bricks, right? The Pharisees? I got to be more righteous than those guys? Are you nuts? Right? The, the, the righteousness of the Pharisees already seemed completely undoable for the average uh, Jew back in that time. And even their righteousness wasn't enough? Oh, we need to do better than that? But this goes back to what I was saying before, and it's the point of this whole teaching of Jesus' is here. That Jesus lived our perfect obedience for us. Again, perfect obedience is still the standard. That's why our righteousness, our obedience, has to surpass that even of the Pharisees. But no one can do that. And no one can perfectly follow Jesus all the time. Our sin nature, our brokenness, is too much a part of us. On this side of heaven. And that's why Jesus' sinless life matters so much. Right? His sinless life means as much to us as his substitutionary death and his resurrection. Because that perfection is then given to us to wear. And it fits perfectly. Jesus lived our perfect obedience. What a huge burden off of our shoulders. He fulfills the obligation and then pays the price and we live in the reward. All right, it's like Jesus pays for all of our Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, Paramount+, Plus, HBO Max, YouTube TV, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, and we get to watch Ted Lasso for free. <laughs> Amen. This is what I'm talking about when I, when I say that Jesus lived the life we couldn't live. Right? We couldn't live that perfection. But Jesus lived it for us. So we can live in freedom and have the confidence to approach God 
and know that he will receive us. That's an amen. I want to take just a moment to think about this practically and specifically to help us kind of come to grips with what this means. I want you to take a minute, and this is going to feel really sour here for a little bit. Get ready to sit uncomfortably. Take a minute to think back to a time when you blew it. You don't have to share it with anybody. <laughs> Please don't share it with anybody. Maybe you insulted someone you love in the heat of the moment. Maybe you broke something. Maybe you hurt someone you love somehow. You, you cheated in school or at work. Maybe you broke the law. Maybe you reacted poorly to a family member or a friend. Think back to a time that you messed up. You blew it. You wish you could take something back, and you can't. Now, I know for me that forgiveness heals so much. <laughs> and I walk in that every day, and I'm thankful for that. But I still carry the scars of my mistakes with me. Once you have something in your mind, and you sit with it for a minute, I want you to go back to that moment. And instead of seeing you making those mistakes, I want you to see Jesus making those mistakes for you instead of you. And the perfect life that was his is now yours. And you get to walk free of that moment. You're free of that moment. Through Jesus. There's a song by the rapper Flame that I will not rap for you this morning. That's another amen moment. <laughs> but it's a great song. It's called Start Over. And some of the lyrics go like this. It says, see his love is deeper than the ocean floor. Run to his arms like an open door. God the Father sent the Son so men can come and be free and ain't got to run no more. Come to me, all who are weary. With heavy burdens, I'll give you rest. Separated you from your sin as far as the east is from the west. Thrown in a sea of forgetfulness. What sin? What offense? And when the waves come crashing in, I'll calm the winds in your defense. So whatever it is that you've done, he put that punishment on his son. It's a great song. Jesus lived our perfect obedience. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died. And he rose again to give us hope. Amen.